Listen, we are living in the days of Noah and the days of Lot, days of sensuality, pornography, and perversion. So Paul tells us, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. Make no provision. For some of you, it begins with confession, and true confession involves repentance. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Over the last three weeks, Pastor Carl has been preaching on morality and moral excellence. As we look around, it is more than evident that today's culture is in moral decline. However, Dr. Brogy will explain that we are not to come to terms with sexual immorality. Rather, we are supposed to run away from sin and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the name of the Lord. Today is part three and the conclusion of his sermon entitled, Pursuing Moral Purity. Please join us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 as we continue. Look, the way you think is either geared and set by Holy Scripture or something else. But understand, the idols that they worship represented gods, and their gods were gods of sexual immorality. And so he says, you turn from your idolatry to the living God. Now hold your finger here and turn to the book of Jeremiah. If you're new to the Bible, if you find Psalms, Psalms is about dead center, and then scan to the right and you'll find Jeremiah the prophet. And you'll want to go to Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah chapter 6. It's an important chapter of Scripture. Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah has often been called the weeping prophet because he lived to see his nation fall and crumble. And he ended up writing the next book right after Jeremiah called Lamentations, which is a Hebrew word for for weeping. And of course, he's weeping because of the gross immoral compromise in his day. And among other things, sexual immorality was rampant in Israel, in Judah. The people of Judah were living immorally, and it was bringing the impending judgment that God had promised. They had hedged on the standards of God. They they had lost their sharp edge as to what was right and what was wrong. Look at verse 13. For from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for gain. And from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. In other words, there's a problem that's pervasive from the preacher to the people in the pew. They have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. That's our day. That's the pulpit in America. Superficial healing, because there's superficial teaching. Now look at verse 15. Were they ashamed because of the abomination they have done? They were not even ashamed at all. They did not even know how to blush. This is where it comes from. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall At the time that I punish them, they will be cast down, says the Lord. And that's the ultimate consequence of a culture that's covered over in moral laxity. You have a nation of unblushables. And again, that is where America is today. Again, folks can go home and they can watch their cable TV and download their movies and go to various internet sites and entertain themselves on filth when they should be mourning and broken This country is not going to survive much longer. If you're a real patriot, you will live a holy life. 
people talk about the joys of illicit sex. I never hear of it in my office. What do I do, Pastor? My wife, my husband is filed for divorce. Pastor, how do I tell my 10-year-old son, how do I tell my 8-year-old daughter that mom left and she's not coming back? Pastor, can you help me? I was sodomized as an 8-year-old boy. and I just feel so dirty and guilty and broken. Pastor, can you help me because I was abused sexually by my own father? Pastor, can you help me because I was unfaithful to my wife and I have some incurable sexual disease and she no, no longer wants me in that way? Pastor, I was immoral and I got pregnant and I had an abortion and I wake up over and over and over again with awful nightmares. Can you help me? Pastor, I got my husband watching pornography and I just feel so degraded and so worthless as his wife. Pastor, can you help me? My wife, I caught her having an online affair. Pastor, 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 pastor. The joys of illicit sex. But like a breath of fresh air, Paul now moves from the will of God to the way of God. He doesn't leave us hanging. In the first three verses, he has unfolded the will of God. Now beginning in verse 4, he is going to unfold for us the way of God. He is going to teach us how we can abstain from sexual immorality. And the counsel is so practical. Look at verse 4. Follow along, beginning in verse 4. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. God's will, God's plan is that you carry your vessel, you could translate it body, in sanctification and honor. Now, there's a few commentaries occasionally will say, well, the vessel here is your wife. That's not true. That's just not even accurate. That's sloppy biblical exegesis. It's never used that way in Scripture to refer to a person's wife, so to speak, except in one passage, and I'll come to that. How, what is he speaking of? He's speaking here of your body. Let me give you some additional references. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. For instance, in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul says, but we have this treasure, describing the Holy Spirit who lives in us in earthen vessels, skuos, same word. In 2 Timothy 2, 21, Paul tells us that if a man will abstain from uh, wickedness and from youthful lusts, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel, a skuos. He'll be a person. He'll own a body, so to speak, for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Or in Acts 9, Christ tells Ananias, don't worry about Paul, don't be scared about him. Go for he is a chosen vessel, person, body, skuos of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Paul is not speaking of a man's wife, principally number one. Throughout the New Testament, the word skuos, vessel, is referring to your person, to your body. Doesn't mention what he is going to unfold here concerns every single person in the church, husbands and wives, single, male or female, that each of you there in Thessalonica know how to possess his own vessel. Paul, Peter described a wife as a weaker vessel as a weaker body, not mentally, not spiritually, but physically she's not as strong, typically, not always. <laughs> uh, then one knows how to possess his own vessel, his own body in sanctification and honor. This is something God expects you to know. He wants you to know how to have a God-honoring kind of life. Now, we come from different paths. 
We come with a different history in terms of sex sins. And so what God may say to you, he may not say to someone else. He's not just giving you some general information so that you can be a smarter sinner. He is giving us information so that we can be conformed to Christ's image. So notice the qualifying verse. Verse 5, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. Paul says you're not to live like the Gentiles. Now, in the New Testament, most of you know that the word Gentile in the Old Testament, goyim, it is used of someone who is not a physical descendant of Abraham. But sometimes it's used as a synonym for a pagan, for an unbeliever. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us that we're not to use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles, or some English translations will interpret it like pagans. Why? Because for the most part in the first century, if you weren't Jew, you were a Gentile, and if you were a Gentile, you were a raw pagan. And of course, he describes these Gentiles as those who do not know God. That's the opposite of conversion, right? This is eternal life that they might know you, the only true God in Christ whom you have sent. Knowing the Lord is what regeneration brings, not knowing God exists, but a personal relationship with the living God. Now remember, in Thessalonica, it's almost all Gentiles. He's basically saying, look, you Gentiles, don't live like the Gentiles. Now, sadly, we live in a day where people have rationalized sin. They say, well, God doesn't mind as long as I'm not hurting anyone. I counseled someone two days ago, and they called and take all the air out of the balloon. He needed money. And look, when, when, when we help people with our benevolence, I view the money I give as hard-earned sweat blood money. And the money that you tithe is hard-earned sweat blood money, so we just don't give it carelessly. And he said, oh, I've got an opportunity to move to the Midwest and get this job, and me and my fiance, we've got everything worked out, we've got a place to live, and we've got money for the truck. The only thing we don't have is money for gas. So I asked him a question. And look, when, when people come, if somebody has like a child, the child's hungry, we're going to make sure they're fed. If someone legitimately does not have money for medicine, we're going to do what we can to help them. Now, we're to do good to all men, but especially to those of the household of faith. I said, let me ask you a question. Are you and your fiancé, do you live together? Yeah, we, we've lived together for the last two years. So I went on, and he was respectful, and he was quiet because he was waiting for my answer. And I said, well, you know, there's probably a bigger issue here than money for the truck and for you to be able to move to the Midwest to take this new job. And the bigger issue is your spiritual moral life. And it's not that Christians are perfect, but when you're born again, there's a new direction. And if there's no new direction in your life, it means you haven't been born again. And we looked at some passages like Ephesians 5 and Galatians 5 and 1 Corinthians 6 and Hebrews 13. I read it to him. And that this is, if this is your lifestyle, which it was, hey, look, I've been ordained. I'm a pastor. They ordained me in Florida at, at this teen life thing. They may have. I said, but what you're asking me to do is to underwrite your adultery. And so I can't give you any money. Now, if you're hungry, you can come to the food pantry and we'll give you $75 worth of groceries. But you're asking me to underwrite your adultery with God's tithe money. And I'm sorry, he was so livid and he hung up on me. (laughs) 
You're not to live like a pagan. We are to be different. We are to know how to possess our bodies in sanctification and in honor. Now look, guys, Satan goes after us in the visual realm. Women, the devil goes after you in the emotional realm. It's not by accident that women can get just hooked on uh, romance series and novels and watch these things where they begin to become dissatisfied with their husband. Because Satan, who's the prince of the power of the air, who's energizing the sons of disobedience, who produce these books and these movies and so forth, he knows how he can go after you. And God knows that as you sow a thought, you reap an act. As you reap an act, don't look at your watch, look at me. I don't preach by the watch. It's insulting. Look, if you don't want to stay for a sermon, there's the door. You sow a thought, you reap an act. You sow an act, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a character. And you sow a character, you will reap an eternity. Abstain from sexual immorality. Let me finish now with the warning of God. Having given us God's will and God's way, he now gives us a warning beginning in verse 6, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. Now, the Greek word here for transgress means to cross a forbidden boundary. And I want every teenager to listen to me very carefully this morning. Some of the best advice I received as a brand new believer was to view and treat the girl that I was spending time with like she were my sister or like she were my daughter or like she could be someone else's wife. Look, I wouldn't want anyone illicitly messing with my sister. And if someone ever messed with my daughter, I would be tempted to kill them. And so it was good sound advice. You treat that person like that person could be someone else's wife. And how would you want that person to be treated? And so he uses this word transgress when you cross a forbidden boundary. But then he uses this word defraud. Do you see it there? And it's to claim more than what is due. It has the idea of taking advantage of someone. So if you're married, adultery would be an obviously violation of someone else's right, taking what is due someone else exclusively. Or if you're a single... You might be robbing the virginity of some woman or some man that exclusively belongs to someone else, and it's defrauding. And of course, if you want to go home, read Leviticus 18, because it's a chapter on sexual morality where the idea is given that we're not to uncover someone's nakedness. The only person's nakedness you are to see is the one you marry. And honestly, that should say something to women in the way they dress. And I know, ladies, it is no easy task to dress modestly in our day because everything they put out there is for hookers and prostitutes or people who want to portray themselves like that. But your breasts are not to be seen by anyone but your husband. And of course, Scripture is very clear that as Moses unfolds it, that to show off your nakedness is to take what belongs to another person. And it's sad when you've got a husband who wants his wife to dress like that, like she's a piece of meat. Hey, guys, look what I got. 
That's a sick, twisted mind. And so you are defrauding someone, you are transgressing someone when you awake in them a sexual desire that you cannot legitimately fulfill. And God warns us against such things. Because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we told you before and solemnly warned you. And so he gives us four reasons here, don't miss them, for sexual purity. Now, I recognize I preached a sermon on finding moral forgiveness and that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And whatever failure we may have had in the past, though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be as white as wool. Though they be crimson, they'll be white like snow. That God buries them in the deepest sea and he puts a no fishing sign on them. As far as the east is from the west, not the north from the south, so far as he removed your sin. But what we're talking about here is not the fact that you've passed out of death into life and that there's no condemnation or judgment for the believer, but he's talking about divine discipline that God exercises on his kids. Those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and God is described here as an avenger. Look, God can avenge sin, and he does it in many ways. He can suck all the power of the Spirit of God out of your life. And again, it's so sad when a parent can't even influence their own children for the kingdom. When they can't introduce someone to the Lord. Why? Because what they don't realize is that they have short-circuited the power of God's Spirit in their life by moral compromise. Read uh, Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. You see David's inability to teach Scripture, and you see David's intimacy and joy with the Lord lost because of his adultery with Bathsheba. Paul warns, flee immorality. Every sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his body. Other sins are outside the body. This sin is against your body. It's against your very person. So God says, abstain. Why? Because in the avenger. That's the reason number one. Look at verse seven. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. That's the second of four reasons. God's put a new call in your life. And it's not sexual immorality, it's holiness. And here's the third time Paul uses this word sanctification. Again, he's dealing here with practice. He concludes in verse 8. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives the Holy Spirit to you. That's the third reason. To reject God's call to sexual purity is to reject God himself. You're not rejecting man. You're not rejecting this preacher. You're rejecting God himself. And then he gives a fourth reason, who gave the Holy Spirit to you. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And Paul explains it in great detail in the second half of 1 Corinthians 6, where he says, if you are sexually immoral, you are carrying God the Holy Spirit into that immoral relationship. How are we going to apply this? Let me make three applications as we close. Number one, if you truly want to please God, then I must live pure both physically and mentally. If I truly want to please God, I need to live both pure physically and mentally. Now, again, that's the focus. That's how the chapter opened with pleasing God. So don't deceive ourselves into thinking we're pleasing God if we're living immorally. Some of us have forgotten the teaching of Job. Job, if you remember, lived during the time of the patriarchs. Job 31.1, it's one of the hundred verses I asked people to memorize. I've made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? He dealt aggressively with immorality. He made a covenant with his eyes. 
Job was a man who didn't want to just live outwardly. He wanted to live inwardly. And then he'll say a few verses later in verse 4 of that chapter, Does he, God, not see my ways and number my steps? Yes, he does. So he didn't entertain immorality with his eyes. Look, there was nothing in the text that indicates that David went out there expecting to see Bathsheba bathing. He just stumbled upon it. But he didn't bounce the eyes and go back in. He entertained the eyes. Jesus tells us the lamp of your body is your eye. When your eye is clear, your whole body also is full of light. But when it is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Your eye is the window gate into the heart. What you let into the eye affects the human spiritual heart. That's 2 Samuel 11 that we studied. We're to bounce the eyes. Look, sometimes it's just there. And a woman comes and she's just, oh, she's dressed like a hooker, as my wife would say. You don't have to stare. And sometimes it's impossible. You can engage in business and you can look at the face without looking at the rest of the body. A covenant with the eyes. Listen, we are living in the days of Noah and the days of Lot, days of sensuality, pornography, and perversion. So Paul tells us, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. Make no provision. For some of you, it begins with confession, and true confession involves repentance. For some guy, it might mean getting rid of his smartphone and going to a flip phone. You know, they do work, flip phones, and you can't text with them. But if it's a, that big of a temptation, for some guy, he might need to get rid of his computer. You know, there are adults in this church that have never owned a computer, and they're actually functioning people. For some person, they're so enslaved to immorality in the television, they might need to put their television in the attic. It's just a matter of how serious you are. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. If your eye causes you to stumble, plug it out. You have to have a ruthless hatred towards sexual sin. Second, there can be grave spiritual consequences by compromising oneself with moral impurity. Grave spiritual consequences by compromising oneself with moral impurity. Again, he's dealing here with practical sanctification but to reject God's counsel to rationalize in your mental or physical spiritual life in this realm is not to reject man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. On the day God saved you, he gave you the Holy Spirit. And he gave you the Holy Spirit as your helper. But you shut him down. You quench him when you entertain these thoughts or this behavior This is important stuff. We need to decide what are we going to do? Who are we going to follow? Third and finally, God is true to his counsel, and his counsel always works. He's given us instruction as to how we ought to walk and please God. Amen. They took it. They received it, just as you actually are walking. I just want you to grow further. Hey, the first time I heard 1 Thessalonians 4, as I mentioned, I was about six months old in the Lord. And I heard this taught with 2 Timothy 2.22. Now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Now in the context, Paul is describing the good versus the bad workman, the true teacher versus the false teacher. 
uh, the person who's useful to the master, the person who's not. And he has just said in verse 19 of that chapter that everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. And then he says, flee youthful loss. Why? Because we're instruments of righteousness. And this word flee means to run hard in the opposite direction. It's used by Stephen in Acts of Moses who fled from Pharaoh. It's used of Joseph and Mary who fled from Herod. We're not to come to terms with sexual immorality where we just kind of rationalize, well, I can put up with this much. We don't make peace with sin. We don't linger in it like Lot did in Sodom. We're to run far away from it like Joseph did with Potiphar's wife. But he gives not only negative counsel, but positive counsel. Some people take a certain pleasure in the things they're not doing, but he's giving us some very positive counsel. We're to pursue four things. And the word pursue, dioke, is the opposite. It means to run hard after. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. It's the exact opposite of fleeing. With who? We don't do it alone. We do it with like-minded believers, with those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. As a new Christian, I saw my need to be in a good local church. The new Christian, I found some guys on my floor. Most of them, by God's grace, I led to Christ because I was the first believer on the floor. 120 guys on the floor. Within six months, there were six believers. And we met together. We prayed together. We studied the Bible together. I tried to teach them. I was in 30 minutes ahead of them. <laughs> I'd prepare for the lesson. I'd call a friend with questions I had. And I'd say, guys, I don't know much of the Bible, but I'll study it with you. And that was the floor where most of the men lived their lives below the belt. And we had to decide, what are we going to do? And let me just say parenthetically, if you are listening to me today and you're not a member of a Bible-believing church, you're not obeying this verse. You are to be a part of a Bible-believing verse. You're to pursue these four things with those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. Now, look, you can't change your past. None of us can. But today can be the first day of the rest of your life. And you can confess failure and receive forgiveness. And if you've never met Jesus, that's the first step to call upon him and to receive him as Lord. Now, our Father, we thank you that what you have deemed of us positionally, you've called us to be practically we live in a world, Father, that you said would happen at the end of the age. In fact, you liken the return of your son to his first coming into this world. He came into such a dark, filthy world, and you told us that he would come back to the same atmosphere. Help us not to be deceived by what is happening all around us. Help us to watch over our heart with all diligence. You said from it comes the very issues and springs of life. Help us to gird up our minds for action and help someone today, Father, who's never met the Savior to know that he offers forgiveness and new life. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. By way of application, Dr. Brogy reminds us that if we truly want to please God, we must live pure both physically and mentally. There can be grave spiritual consequences by compromising ourselves with moral impurity. More importantly, we should remember that God is true to His counsel, and His counsel always works. To listen again to today's sermon, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. 
Remember that you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program PMP021. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to Search the Scriptures. Search the Scriptures.